Welcome to the Missions Podcast, where we answer your hard questions about theology, missions, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm your host, Alex Kochman. I'm a director in mobilization at ABWE International, and I'm joined here in the studio by Scott Dunford, our vice president of communications and mobilization, and also my boss. How are you doing today, Scott? It's a great day, Alex. Good to be with you again and talking about missions. And I think we got a great question uh, to address uh, regarding missions. Yeah, I do have a question for you, Scott. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here's my question for you. Scott, where are all the missionaries? I thought you were going to ask a hard one. That's an easy one. They're all overseas <laughs> serving the Lord. Okay. <laughs> no, I, you got me. I, what you're asking there is a, is a very good question. Um, and I think it begs another question is, um, do we have enough missionaries? And the, I think the answer to that is no. Um, and that gets into where do they come from? So, uh, currently right now, the statistics are that we have about 64,000 evangelical Protestant U.S. missionaries serving overseas, which is on its face a pretty, uh, good number. Um, however, that turns into about seven one thousandth of a percent of the evangelical church in America, which is not a great number. Um, that's not a great number, especially when you consider the fact that we're talking about a massive population in the world, a 7.5 billion of which 3.1 billion are part of an unreached people group. And it starts to go, where, where are all the missionaries? Uh, and, and then it gets back to, well, the answer to that is they're sitting in the pews of local churches. Yeah, I remember uh, when we were planning to uh, discuss this episode, we were looking at the statistic there and we were trying to figure out what that percentage is. It's 0.7 of one one thousandth of a percent. I So it, it's hard to, it's almost one one thousandth of a percent, something ridiculous like that. Um, so you would say facetiously they're overseas. Okay. I kind of set myself up for that one. Um, but you would say they're in the church. They are in the church. The future missionaries, the missionaries that we need, um, and the missionaries that I believe God is still calling, um, the prayer, the answering the prayer of Jesus, which is the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. We're praying for those laborers, and they're within the local church. Uh, that's um, an awesome truth um, that God has already put all of those resources in the church itself to fulfill the commission. And the reason I ask that question just to start us off with, you know, where are all the missionaries? I remember uh, when I was wrapping up one of my last messages as a youth pastor before I was transitioning into my current role, um, I, I was talking about missions and I was talking about why I was moving to ABWE and, and uh, kind of gave this rally cry, you know, talking about um, the number of unreached peoples and the need for people to go and for to mobilize uh, towards that cause. And uh, none of the students that I shared that message with have signed up to become missionaries yet. You know, so right. it sort of begs the question for the pastor out there who, um, you know, let's say he's uh, he's listened to uh, some really great missions focused pastors and he's read Let the Nations Be Glad mm-hmm. and he is trying to weave it in and he's trying to do his best and he believes in missions um, and he's balancing that with all of his other ministry responsibilities, or it doesn't have to be a pastor. It could be a Sunday school teacher, a small group Mm -hmm. leader, um, man or woman doing some of those things that are important and uh, trying to make disciples in the local church. And, you know, if we do believe that God still calls people to go, um, why don't we see it happening more often? Where are they all? Um, So I, I think what we should do today is let's talk about some solutions some ways that you can sort of build that culture in your church 
of making it kind of a sending church because that's sort of what you're getting at, right? The resources are there already. Yeah, it does no good to be uh, sitting around acting guilty, the fact that we're not sending out more missionaries. Let's talk about some strategy and some ways that, that churches can produce a culture that sends out missionaries from their churches. I like what you're saying about not feeling guilty, too, because I think when people think about sending missionaries, there's a lot of guilt that comes to mind. Sure. Everyone knows the the kind of guilt-ridden feeling whenever the missions conference rolls into the church, and there's other ways to do it. Right, and we understand that that the vast majority of the, of people in the pulp in the pew uh, probably aren't being called to go as missionaries. But it's the role of the church to be thinking strategically about who should be called to go into missions. And I think we're we're doing a pitiful job of that as a North American church. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, one of the first things that we should say is that ascending church already thinks cross culturally. I love the Book of Acts, and you can mm-hmm. kind of see. You know, the, when the church is born, it's, um, well, embryonic wouldn't be the right term because it's already born, but like everything that's there in terms of the makeup for the ministries that the, the church is supposed to be doing, it's there, but it develops. Mm-hmm. And you sort of see that, um, very early on. The church is thinking cross culturally and you just see these small seeds of going across cultures, but it takes a while to happen. Um, I'm thinking about the church in Antioch mm-hmm. and some of the things that happen there. Um, you know, there, uh, the, the persecution happens with Paul, uh, and then, uh, early in the book of Acts, they're spread all over kind of the empire. And it says that they're, they're sharing the gospel. And then you have particularly the believers uh, in Antioch, they, rather than just sharing the gospel with the Jews, they're starting to share it with also the Hellenists, the Greek speaking Jews. So they're not making a huge cultural leap. But you already see that, you know, it takes about halfway through the book of Acts, but they're starting to think cross-culturally. They're not necessarily sending missionaries yet. They're not laying hands on people. Um, but the seeds of that are kind of there. Um, is that instructive for us today? How do you, how do, you do that? Because I know we're talking about Acts. Everyone wants to be like the first century church. Sure. How do you apply that? Yeah, we do, except for we don't want persecution. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, no, I, I do think we need to be thinking uh, cross-culturally, and it's the job of the church to be, to be doing that and training its people. Um, there are opportunities like that all around us. I, I know, Alex, um, you're, you're good about this, and that's just simply – um, finding people where they're at and building relationships. That might mean uh, frequenting an Indian restaurant and building relationships with a Hindu owner, or it might mean um, visiting your local kebab stand and and uh, building a relationship with the Muslim who's running it or the, the local Chinese restaurant and finding ways to minister to that family. Um, but also, if you could be in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa and still develop a culture that thinks cross-culturally, whether you're supporting already one missionary or 50 missionaries, can you dive into the culture of the people where they're serving? What if you have a missionary serving in Togo? You've never been to Africa. Could you find out more about that country and teach your people more about that country and understand the culture of that country? Um, but also, if you open up your eyes and look around, we're finding that the nations are coming to us and you can find out so much about peoples and get invested even just by simply taking a drive around your neighborhood with eyes wide open. Um, I live in the little city of Harrisburg 
central PA, pretty rural, rust belt kind of feel, very similar to where I've grown up in Wisconsin or um, or Michigan. And here just two blocks from me, there's a little housing development and I drive through on a Saturday and you see all these grandpas and children out playing and they're all from uh, Nepal. They're Bhutanese Nepalis who've come here as refugees living in a little neighborhood there. That'd be a great place for our church to just dive in culturally, cross-culturally here in my hometown. Um, and that can be done all over the country. So church, sending churches need to begin to think cross-culturally and training their people to lift up their eyes to the world and not just their own insulated culture or bubble. Well, and, you know, we all have our crosses to bear. And if going to an Indian restaurant or getting some kebabs is one of those crosses, then I'm all for that. You know, <laughs> what a sacrifice, Alex. Appreciate that. <laughs> But there are some easy things to do, and you can put yourself in proximity of those sorts of people, and especially even in a city like Harrisburg that you wouldn't think is incredibly diverse, mm -hmm. but you find those pockets. Mm -hmm. um, when we were talking before we started recording, Scott, you also said something that I love. It's just that you know, for churches to be able to send, you just have to plan on sending. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes intentionality, and that's kind of a buzzword, right? Yeah. It's intentionality. Right. Um, but how do you plan? Um, you know, so I was, I was a youth pastor and I was in a position where I was pulling off the weekly thing and you're, you're always in pastoral ministry focused on who do I have to call? Um, you know, what crucial conversations do I have to have? What message am I preparing for? How do you actually get ahead of it enough to plan on something like this? That's so long range. Right. So I, first of all, I think that, um, pastors and churches need to begin to praying to send missionaries. We've talked about this before in a podcast, but it seems like in Acts 13, they were gathering together to pray about something specific. And it's likely they were praying about how to fulfill the Great Commission, how, how to send missionaries and where to send them. And so churches should begin already praying, not just for their missionaries. I've been in many Wednesday night prayer meetings where we go through the list of missionaries. But are we praying that God specifically would call someone from our church to grow cross-culturally as a missionary? I think a church that prays that way begins thinking that way. And God delights in answering that kind of prayer. Now, that can be a scary prayer for a pastor because he might call him or yeah. he might call his, had that. His, uh, his elders or he might call uh, one of his other right-hand family. Um, but praying that way and then God prepares your hearts. And I think also then is preparing financially. Um, a lot of times church budgets are reactionary and it's very difficult then to support a new missionary. And so building it into your financial plan, putting it up front in your financial plan that you're praying and thinking about a new missionary and you're building toward that in your budgeting so that you have money set aside for when God does call someone. That's an act of faith. That's stepping out in faith with some real intentionality and preparation. And I think ascending church, a good sending church culture is a church that plans to send and prays toward that end. And when you're praying towards that end too, that's an answerable prayer. With mm. measurable results. You're not just saying, God, please reach this people group. Yeah. Amen. God bless all the missionaries. Right. N nothing wrong with that prayer. <laughs> nothing wrong with that prayer. But it, prayers that are answerable, prayers that if they weren't answered, you would notice. Mm -hmm. um, that's important. Um, something else that we were talking about, you know, first we would say sending churches think cross-culturally. Second, sending churches plan to send. And third, uh, a saying that I love that we used to use around an old church of mine is that you have to celebrate what you want repeated. Mm. Um, yes. So how do you celebrate 
when when missionaries do go and when people are involved in that. Yeah, part of it gets involved in the preparation of missionaries, and so you're thinking intentionally about what goes in to a good missionary. If you think about your children's program, we'll talk about this in another episode. Um, but but what if Johnny were to grow up to be a missionary? What do you want him to know? And uh, what do you want him to be? Or what if he were to grow mm. up to be the next pastor of your church? Or Susie, what would you like her uh, to be? And so planning from that point. Beginning in how with you, the end in mind. Beginning with, that's a good way of saying it. Uh, and then communication. Are we putting it in a place of honor? So when we think of the things that we honor, that's how, that's what we celebrate and that's what we're saying we want to strive toward. So how do we put missions in a place of honor? Can we build that into our communication? Whether that's five minutes in the field, that's what my church does, which I love. It puts missionaries in front of people in regularly service. in the service. Um, the missionaries home, they give them a chance to communicate, put, put them in front of people, celebrate and pray with them. Um, but then also celebrating mile markers in their ministry. Um, if they're doing a Bible translation project, do we get behind that? Do we send representatives to be there for that big event um when when they come home on furlough do we celebrate that if they come or home, do we even know <laughs> do we even know uh do, do we have teams ready to prepare for that and celebrate that and really praise the lord for what he's done are we seeing missionaries as an essential part of our of our ministry like we see the youth director or like we see the pastors or like we see um, whatever other ministries we value in the church so we see missions that we, can we put that in a way that we celebrate it and and honor it in a place that people would want to aspire to that. At my church, they have their outreach partner of the week. It's in the bulletin. It's in the prayer um, early in the service. And the main hallway that kind of connects the two wings of the church from each other, you walk down that hall, and the whole hall is lined with um, the photos of the individual missionaries. It, it There's little pockets underneath mm-hmm. their photos that has uh, the latest copy printed off. Uh, of their prayer letters that they've emailed out. Right. It says what organization they're with, where they're serving, if they can share that for security. Um, it's got all of that right there. It's constantly in front of you. So it's finding ways to put that in front of people because you celebrate what you want repeated. Yeah, and it, it, with missions, it can be out of sight, out of mind. We know it's important, but they're far away, and we can't relate to what they're doing. So the job, I think, of the leadership is how do we build a bridge there that it feels more accessible, and we're invested in what's happening. And so uh, that goes along with this idea of celebrating. Okay, Scott, but you are working on your demon uh, you have a pastoral a doctor background. of ministry in case people are wondering. <laughs> it's not a, a demon. Actually, okay, that happened with, I was talking to my parents the other day, and um, my, somebody said something to me about, like, you know, well, what if you had a demon? I'm like, are you saying I'm possessed? Yeah, no. It, it, <laughs> D sometimes period, it feels M-I-N like I'm period. fighting demons when I'm writing those papers. <laughs> uh, but, yes, I'm doing doctoral studies toward missions. Yes. So you believe in education. I do. So this takes Sometimes. training. Sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yes. This takes training. Um, you can't just send someone out without any preparation. How do you train a missionary? I, I think we, we train, we think what missions is, and that's planting churches and equipping leaders and, and seeing church multiplication networks started. It's, it's just doing it cross-culturally. So, uh, we need people who understand discipleship. We need missionaries who know how to disciple and have been discipled. So uh, churches need to train people on how to be disciples and reproduce themselves. Um, 
we also need to have them thinking about church planting. We are church planting. We're a church planting mission at ABWE. And I think true missions is seeing the church replicated mm-hmm. um, and expanded and, and pushed into new areas. Um, I think that's how God advances his kingdom. Um, so, so when we talk about that, like, is your church involved in church planting? And that would be a great place to start is thinking through how we're going to re- reproduce ourselves here and then getting our people involved in that so that they have some experience when they do go overseas. Um, internships could be another way. If you have people that are thinking seriously about missions, um, making the jump from the office place to uh, overseas full-time ministry is a big jump. So can they get involved in the working of your local church, understanding your local church culture and ministry there, and then getting involved in short-term trips? That'd be a great way mm-hmm. to use short-term effectively to help them get a vision for what that might look like, transferring what they already are here to what that might look like cross-culturally. Yeah, letting them try it out, test drive it. Um, I love what happens to bring it back to the book of Acts and the example of the believers in Antioch. Uh, it's in Acts 11, verses uh, 22 through about 26. Uh, it says, when this, and it's talking about you know, the faith and the things that the believers they were doing, um, particularly in ministry and evangelism, when it came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. So they recognized what was mm. good. They repeated it. They went and they specifically trained believers in the congregation there who were already being faithful in ministry Yes, to continue that. So they catalyzed that. Um, it says a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas went uh, to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. So they were taking people who already showed potential for ministry mm-hmm. and they were pulling them al- alongside and they were training them to continue doing what they were already doing. Um, so there's the theological preparation. It's discipleship. Um, certainly that comes out in the preaching. But sending churches have to train vigorously. Um, that that has to be a part of getting ready people to, to go onto the field. Um, you, know, you mentioned earlier, though, Scott, the uh, the practical side under planning, especially if to pray, Mm -hmm. if to plan financially, Mm -hmm. it's not cheap to send a missionary, Mm -hmm. uh, especially a Western missionary. Um, and, uh, budgets are tight, especially someone in ministry, they can feel that if they're looking at the budget. Um, so what about the culture of giving in a church? Um, how much depends on that? So sending churches also give sacrificially. And I think that comes into the planning process. If we, as you know from your personal budget, if you uh, don't plan, you just you have whatever's left over, and it's amazing how our capacity to fill, especially in ministry, churches. I've done a church budget. I've been a pastor. Um, I'm on an elder team now, and I'm working on the budgets now, and I know those things are tight, and it's hard to think about how do we do the things we need to do here in our local church and think overseas. So it has to be a good deal of foresight and planning ahead of time that we're going to make this an important thing, but also then calling our people to that. And whether you're using um, faith promise or whether you just call them to give above their normal giving toward missions, it's training people uh, to think personally about their money in a way that is making an investment in the souls of men and in the glory of Christ around the world. And so then planning budget, uh, planning their budget, to give uh, sacrificially as well. But there are also some pitfalls, I think, of, mm-hmm. of 
I, I don't want to act like everyone needs to give all their money to missions. There's some pitfalls uh, yeah. that we could probably talk about as well. Yeah, I mean, I was at a church, um, great little church, a little while back, uh, just visiting and got to know them. They were in a situation where they had been without a pastor for, I think, going on three years um, because they weren't able to pay a full salary. Um, and, and sadly, it was, an, it was kind of a historic church, and they were dying. There were about 30 people on a Sunday uh, max, um, sometimes 15. Um, it, it, was, it was sad to see, and the people there were faithful. And then I found out that they were collecting an offering of, I think, upwards of $10,000 per year for missions. Um, a big part of their budget was going towards missions, and they had a number of missionaries that they supported, and they believed in it. But what was sad to see, one, in terms of discipling people and investing in people locally and younger people who might be coming up into the congregation, there wasn't any of that happening that we're talking about. Right. So they weren't reproducing themselves. That's probably the biggest problem. But beyond that, um, if you can't, and this is an extreme example, but if you can't salary your pastor, if you're muzzling the ox while it treads out the grain, um, you know, that's, that's a biblical thing to give priority to. Um, so giving sacrificially, um, which is our, our fifth point for building ascending church culture doesn't necessarily mean giving everything towards missions. That doesn't mean that missions is necessarily the biggest line item on the budget, right? Right. And, and we can talk about this another time because I think this is a much bigger discussion, but within your mission budget, what is actually going toward missions? What is actually going toward advancing the gospel in places where the gospel isn't um, versus what is what is we, what are we calling missions that is simply um, auxiliary ministries that help us in our church? So thinking through that. But then there's the pitfalls of 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 giving giving so much that we're not able to do our ministry here. I think that's a, a legitimate concern that we want to be careful of. That's where intentionality on the front end really makes a lot of sense. So pray about that and think about that and call your people to join you in praying and strategizing about that and then set a goal and go for that goal um, to be able to give in a generous way to advance the gospel around the world. And I think if you're doing that too, you're probably not going to have a missions budget that looks like, you know, we're supporting this one couple $20 a month this other one $10 a month, this other one $30. It'll be more intentional than that. It'll be bigger chunks because that means you'll have more relationship with the missionaries that you're sending. And you might send or support fewer missionaries, but it'll be a higher quality of relationship. Yeah, I think that's critical. If we could get churches to think strategically about how they spend their money and the relationship they're building with missionaries, it's more of an investment in them. And it's maybe not a mile wide and inch deep, but maybe it's a, it's a, it's a narrower pool that you're going deep with. And that would be something that I think would be a blessing to the missionaries, but it'll also be a blessing to the church. And by the way, what's cool on that point too is before we move on is you see that in Acts also with the church in Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas, they weren't just training and helping the believers there, but they were the ones that that church sent out with its offering to take back to mm -hmm. Jerusalem later in Acts chapter 11 in verses mm -hmm. 27 through 30 when there was that famine in Jerusalem. Um, so you see the church at Antioch there kind of as like a model sending church. They were meeting physical needs as well as spiritual needs, and they were developing the people to do ministry. Um, and then uh, you have in Acts 13... Uh, when we see the first missionaries officially go out from Antioch. So all these things kind of play into the culture of that church as a sending base. And then in Acts 13, 1 through 3, um, you see the that sending churches worship passionately. 
Um, that's the way that I would put it. And it says they were there at the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, and, and a few others. And it says, and while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And so they, they pray for them, they lay hands on them, they fast, and then they send them off. But it's in the middle of passionate, it sounds like worship um, that's happening. And because fasting just being the overflow of focus on God, mm-hmm. um, that is the um, the cauldron in which God says, okay, these two people, send them out now. Yeah. So that was actually the last step in their sending process. It wasn't the first. Right. We see that also in, in Matthew 28 when it talks about the disciples um, worshiping Christ and uh, then he gives them the commission. So the commission mm. flows out of worship to Jesus. And I think it still does. I think that is the heartbeat of missions. And that goes to what are you doing on the weekend? Hmm. <laughs> You're gathering to worship. Hmm. Um, you know, in the preaching, the, the preaching is worship as well. It should be focused on the gospel. It should be gospel centered. It should be focused on receiving Christ and enjoying him. Not just on, you know, here's five steps to a better marriage. That's that's not going to generate the kind of passionate worship that's going to make people want to go and spread the gospel, do you think? I mean, and I'm not trying to get down on, on churches because you need practical application to your messages. Yeah, we, we so easily can focus on the guilt aspect. There's so many people that need the gospel and they are dying and going to hell. But there's also a very positive impulse for missions that actually you see emphasized throughout scripture. And that is God is calling for himself a people for his name. Um, he call, he's calling out worshipers for him. You see uh, Paul in Acts chapter 15 making this appeal to the church of Jerusalem for why the ministry of the Gentiles needs to go forward. And he says that that God is making from the Gentiles a people for his name. And, and that is what we're about. We're declaring Jesus Christ to people who've never heard, calling them to come and make him their king and their Lord and um, become passionate worshipers of Jesus. And that is a very positive thing. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, that is the prophecy at the end of the book in, in Revelation 7 um, highlights that worship around the throne of, of God that, that as Christians, all of us as Christians, and then even specifically as missionaries, we put our hope in that, that God's promises are true and that the work of evangelism will take place in nations and people groups and and some from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around the throne of Christ worshiping him. That's that's the joy that's that we're that we're pursuing is is Jesus. And then you have Piper's really useful adage there that missions exists because worship doesn't. Hmm. And the yeah. goal of missions is then to instill worship. Hmm. Um and I I think that if we're not understanding that when we gather in worship, that we're doing so to rest in the finished work of Christ and to partake of him and to receive his grace. You know, every time we get together, um, you know, you're, you're not going to want to go out and spread something that you don't have. Right. You know, you need to be full before you can, you know, you're, we're inviting people to a banquet um, in, in this kind of overly pragmatic, uh, practical North American culture focused on church growth and, and numbers and multiplication it can be real easy to make missions one of those things. You know, what can we do in terms of the bottom line to give us more missionaries this year? It's just focusing on Christ. It's rooting ourselves in him. And that would be a great point to end on. But we have one more. 
because seven is the number of completion, and we've had six points so far, <laughs> and we need one more to make it seven. <laughs> well, and, and we saved the hardest one for last, I think. Um, we do want to put it first because uh, everyone have turned it off. Uh, but <laughs> that is that sending churches evangelize locally. Um, and this is something that we need to be focused on as a church here in North America is, are we evangelizing those people around us? It's, we've, you've talked about the 747 principle that getting on an airplane doesn't make you a missionary. Getting on a 747 doesn't turn you into a missionary. Um, but neither, neither should churches say we're doing evangelism. We're just doing it overseas. It starts here in your local church, in your local neighborhood with your friends and neighbors. Um, and so, uh, we can talk about that a little bit. What does that look like, and what are some strategies for that? Yeah, the church in Antioch in the book of Acts was also evangelizing locally. You see that back going to chapter 11, um, that when the persecution broke out uh, at the hands of Saul uh, or Paul, uh, that they were going and they were spreading the gospel to the Jews, and also they branched out to the Hellenists. So the average person in the pew was conversant in sharing their faith. And I think that's important, and I think... Um, maybe there's a few uh, caveats that we should sort of make because what we're not necessarily saying is that every church has to have a cookie cutter, one size fits all. You know, everybody is learning way the master or four spiritual laws kind of approach to sharing the gospel. Um, but on the flip side, you need to plan. Right. And there needs to be intentionality and strategy behind it. Yeah, I, I sometimes we, we don't want to be programmed. So instead we do nothing. And in doing nothing, we actually are not reaching anyone. Uh, I know that for myself, the more intentional I am with evangelism, the more I'm praying about it and thinking about it, uh, the more likely I am to share my faith with that person sitting next to me on the plane rather than just putting in my earbuds and, and checking out for the flight that I might be on or, or, or talking to my neighbor or being intentional, inviting someone over uh, just to build a relationship with them. And so there's a, a, a value of being intentional about evangelism here before you start thinking cross-culturally. And you see that, like you just mentioned, biblically. Um, there's also about the idea of planting churches. And we have a great resource uh, here at ABWE that can be a very big help to, to churches, and that's everyethne.church, where we go through and help a church think through who are the lost people in your area, what are the needs in your area, and how do you reach them with the gospel, and how do you assess that? And and they also have a tool on there that you were mentioning to me um, called My Circle. Why don't you yeah, it's, that? it's called My Circle. Um, I haven't used it myself yet, but uh, we met with... Um, the guy who runs their tool, that organization, um, whose name I definitely wish I could recall right now. But it, it's pretty incredible in terms of you know, there's a lot of evangelism tools out there that will give you kind of a, an outline for how to present the gospel with someone. And those are great. But I think a lot of us also feel like it's it's the pre-evangelism, if you want to call it that, that can be really hard. The intentionality behind, you know, do I have a lost list of people that I'm praying for regularly? Um, am I you know, putting myself in those situations to invite friends to church or to invite them over into my home. Um, and am I going to be able to progress the relationship in a direction where I can share the gospel? And this tool helps with that. It helps um, basically church members stay accountable for that. And it kind of gives you like a personal tool, like dashboard kind of thing where, you know, here are your people and be praying for them you know, be meeting with them, be scheduling times to hang out with them, things like that, which that I feel like can be a huge help, uh, especially I think a lot of us are kind of calloused at this point against anything that, that feels canned. 
mm-hmm. with evangelism. Yeah, the name you were looking for was Jim Murphy, uh, who's been a big resource to us. Jim, uh, Jimbo, good old Jim. <laughs> love uh, that guy. Here at ABWE. Jim, we hope and, you're listening. We love you. Yeah, with every ethne. Um, but also then, you know, what are some good resources for equipping people to share their faith? I, I think I know at our church uh, we've used uh, Two Ways to Live by Matthias Media, which is a very excellent way of, of getting people engaging. Um, we have a resource here that that is excellent at taking people through chronological Bible story and and walking, especially totally unchurched people, assessing where they're at, assessing them where they're at, and then helping them understand the whole storyline of the Bible. Yeah, that would be Good Soil, GoodSoil.com. Um, kind of taken from the parable of the soils there. So it's cool because it helps the person who's trained to become a missionary, but actually it's training that they offer to people in churches, um, just lay people throughout the year in various parts of the country, um, just in how to assess kind of how receptive someone is towards the gospel, um, to, to see, you know, how far off is their worldview from mine and kind of peeling beneath the surface a little bit to see what you have in common, what you don't have in common. And then rather than giving necessarily the gospel all at once, taking them through personal Bible study from Genesis to Revelation so that they see that the whole Bible, old and new covenants is all pointing towards Christ and his redemptive work and everything of Abraham, you know, point with, with the sacrifice pointing towards Christ and it builds that case. Um, so that's pretty cool too. And also I would say if we're talking about resources that we would recommend to our listeners, uh, Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer yeah. is a book that we've both read. Mm-hmm. Um, I just mailed it out to somebody the other day. I've got a stack of these in my office, and I give them to every pastor I meet. <laughs> um, they're an excellent book. And, and even though uh, um, JD's church is a big church, uh, I think the principles in gaining by losing can be very equally applied to a small church of even 30, 40, 100 people. Um, excellent uh, strategy and excellent thinking about how the role of the church is to be preparing uh, goers. Yeah. And, and leadership pipelines, and especially in the context of a large church that has a lot of other competing programs, potentially. Right. So that's a great book. Uh, we would definitely recommend that you read that. But I think bottom line here is that we're saying, where are all the missionaries? They're actually in the church already. You know, we believe God is sovereign. We really believe that he plans on finishing the Great Commission in some way, shape, or form. And he's going to do that by the fact that he's already placed all of the resources to complete the mission in the church in each generation for exactly what he wants to happen, right? Exactly what he wants to accomplish. And so to unlock the resources in the local church, we have to build a culture that emphasizes sending, that celebrates when people go, that trains people, and that helps them to do locally what we hope and pray that they'll also do on a global scale later. Um, so those are some of our uh, things that we would say that would help people with that. And if you have anything that you would add or push back on or a different question that you would send to us, send us an email. You can email alex at missionspodcast.com. You can also email scott, scott at missionspodcast.com. For more information, you can go to missionspodcast.com. And please, while you're doing that, too, uh, whether you're using iTunes or a different platform, please remember to subscribe to us uh, and also uh, leave us a five-star rating and give us an honest review, sharing your feedback. That really helps us to make this program as good as it can be um, to, to help equip you guys. Um, so thank you for listening today to the Missions Podcast, and we will see you for our next episode.